Hallelujah. I said, God bless you. Hallelujah. How many of you have heard Brother Foster's message again this week? I'm going to say again what I said Sunday night. It is absolutely, that is one of the strong, you can't hear me? Oh, okay. That is absolutely one of the most powerful spirits of prophecy that I've ever experienced. Brother Foster is not a prophet. You can't hear me. Okay. Said, Brother Foster is definitely not a prophet, but he was speaking under the spirit of prophecy. Hallelujah. Let's see now. Okay, I can finally hear myself. <laughs> it, was, it was powerful. It really, really was powerful. And I am very appreciative of that. I have an additional announcement to make. If you want to know what's happening at Antioch and hear it firsthand, then you will be here Sunday night, April the 17th. You don't want to hear any of this stuff secondhand. Hallelujah. It's been a long time since I was this excited over where we are and where we're headed in the practical application. The spiritual side's never been an issue, but the practical application. Hallelujah. So I'm encouraging you to be here Sunday night, April the 17th. Uh, I will be, I don't know if you'd call it ministering that night, I will be the one uh, who will be communicating what's happening. Praise God. If you came here tonight for this to be a normal Thursday night service and you get a nice little lesson, then you're about to be reeling, hopefully in a positive way. I was sitting here on the platform Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning. And we had about 50 plus sinners and backsliders in the building. And we prayed through about six of them. And I was so grieved in my spirit. And I said, Lord, what is the problem here? And he said to me, you know what the problem is. Are you willing to fix it? I said, okay. So, tonight is marking a line of demarcation. We will function like the Antioch that learned how to pray 1,585 people through in two years. 
starting tonight, we will function that way. It's really simple. The change is really simple. The problem is it's difficult from a, an emotional, traditional standpoint. If you love tradition, um, you have two very specific adversaries if you love tradition. Jesus and me. Because you've never met anybody that hated tradition more than I hate tradition. Tradition is not acceptable. It's not biblical. It's not okay. Jesus said concerning tradition that it causes your the uh, the word of God to be none of none effect in your life, and it causes your worship to be vain. How can something be harmless that causes the word of God to be of none effect in your life and causes your worship to be vain? How can it be okay? Well, I don't know what you mean by tradition, Brother Wright. Well, this is the way we've always done it. It's tradition. Because the goal is not to do it like we've always done it. The goal is to do it biblically. And as the Lord shines the light on what we're doing that, that is traditional, then we need to, we need to do that which is biblical and not that which is traditional. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I come against every principality and power every ruler of darkness, every wicked spirit that wars against your kingdom and your people. I bind especially the spirit of religious tradition that blinds our minds and binds our spirits and causes us to be ineffective and unfruitful in you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, I bind this spirit of tradition and command it to loose Every man, woman, and child that's associated with Antioch in any way whatsoever. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Do you know that even things of God can, can become a tradition? When Israel sinned and God sent a plague of fiery serpents against Israel and they were being bitten and, and, and dying from the poison. Moses went to God and said, you know, what, what are you going to happen? Are you going to allow your, all your people to be destroyed? And the Lord said, if you will make a serpent out of brass and put it on a pole, anyone that is bitten, if they look to that brazen serpent, they will live. God used the brazen serpent how many times? One time. It was the will of God one time. It was the plan of God one time. But Israel for centuries after that burned incense in the house of God to the brazen serpent. But this is the way we always do it, Brother Wright. 
Keep on burning incense to the serpent. You know, in the Pentecost I was raised in, we had our liturgy. Three songs, testimony service. Thank God you don't know what that is. And, uh, and you know, offering an announcement to preaching, and then there was an altar call, and then you could go home. And that's what we did. And we did it every service. And every once in a while we would have a move of God that we would call a divine interruption because for God to move, he had to interrupt what we were doing. And is there something wrong with three songs and testimony service? No. Unless that's what you do every time you get together because you haven't asked God what he wants to do tonight, how he wants to do it. I'll tell you something that will shock you. The idea that you can't have church unless there's always preaching or teaching. Where did that come from? There are times when the Lord can do more in the body ministering to one another than any message could possibly accomplish. Not all the time, but there are times. But, but I've been places. To minister. And I knew it was the will of God to go this direction. And the entire congregation where I was ministering was putting pressure in the spirit on me. Come on and preach. We've heard about you. Come on, preach. Come on, teach. I didn't feel to do that. But I, I was, there was pressure because that's what we expect. One of those things that we're used to doing is called an altar call. So I ask you to search your Bible from Genesis to Revelation and show me any biblical basis for an altar call. And our methodology is preventing us from reaching the people the Lord sends here. You know how uncomfortable it is? For the average Marylander or resident of Maryland to be expected to get out of their seat and walk down in front, in front of a crowd and pray. Do you know how many people are going to go to hell because the only way they were allowed to get saved is if they were willing to do that and they couldn't bring themselves to do that? And a lot of the people that come that have some kind of religious background, it doesn't matter what you say from the pulpit. They think you're, if they come up front, they're joining a church. That's what they think. Well, I'm not ready to join that church. You can say all you want in the microphone. You're not, if you, we're, we're inviting you to come up front, but we're not, we're not asking you to join a church. There are people that are shy. People uncomfortable being in front of other people. And then if you're sitting back and the first few that come up here and some of the stuff that happens up front, right in front of God, everybody, which I'm not ashamed of any of it. But if I'm a sinner, don't know anything about God, don't know anything about the word of God, and I'm sitting there watching what's going on up front. You're not getting me out of my seat. 
they already think we're crazy halfway through the song service. And now we have confirmed it by how we're acting up front and asking them to come do that. When we prayed through 1,585 in two years, we did not do altar calls, especially the second year. We did what we call net fishing. Matthew chapter 4 verse 18. I'm going to read a few verses. Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left their, left the ship and their father and followed him. Mark 1.16, pretty much the same story, but it's got a few little different uh, uh, details to it. Mark 1.16, now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Jesus said unto them, come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Now, in Luke 5, beginning with verse 1, it's the same story. It doesn't look like the same story. It doesn't sound like the same story. But Luke gives a whole lot more background to this story than either Matthew or Mark does. Mark chapter, Luke chapter 5 verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. That's a large number of fish. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled, bo- filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Not a contradicting contradiction between that story and the, uh, the first two accounts. Just a whole lot more detail. The point is that at least four of the twelve disciples 
very likely seven and possibly nine of the twelve, had at some point in their lives worked as commercial fishermen. Almost every great leader in the Old Testament had at some point in their lives worked as shepherds. That was the typology, the type of mindset and ministry of Old Testament leadership. Of the twelve apostles, there's absolutely no indication that any of the twelve apostles ever worked at any point in their lifetime as shepherds. They worked as fishermen. What is the point with that? The pattern and the concept and the mindset of New Testament ministry is different than Old Testament ministry. And yet, and so I, I've been in Pentecost all my life, all my life. My first Sunday of life, my mother took me, I was born on a Monday. She got out of hospital, I think on Friday, and took me to church on Monday. If you knew my mother, that wouldn't even be surprising to you. I've been in the United Pentecostal Church all my life. And let me tell you something. Today, right now, today, the general mindset of the ministry of the United Pentecostal Church is shepherds. Everybody wants to know who their pastor is. In the New Testament, you need to know what boat you're in and how you can help with the nets. That's New Testament. Not who's going to coddle me and pamper me and always be there to, to, to take care of me. That's who you got a shepherd. His name is Jesus. New Testament ministry is fishing. Now, biblically, there's two ways to fish. You can fish with a hook and line. And the only time Jesus ever endorsed hook and line fishing was when they needed money for taxes. And he sent Peter out to fish with a hook and line to catch a fish that had money in his mouth so that they could pay the taxes. So if you're hook and line fishing, you're after money. And so most of us, we're looking for hungry people. We want people that are hungry for God. That's what you have to have if you're hook and line bait fishing. You have to have fish that are hungry and want the kind of bait you're offering. Now, we have a few guys here that are fishermen. I am not. Not saying it's bad to be a fisherman or good not to be or vice versa. I am not. God bless you if you're a fisherman. But I know this from my friends who are fishermen. If you're going to be, if you're not just looking for some place to wet a hook, you're really serious about fishing. The type of equipment you use or tackle that you use, the, 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 the way you fish, where you fish, when you fish is all dependent upon what kind of fish you're fishing for. For, so a hook and line fisherman Knows what he's after most of the time. The good ones do. They know what they're after. In other words, hook and line fishing is when you choose who you're going to have in your church.
Because you go after your kind in hook and line fishing. You coddle to their culture. You coddle to their religious tradition. And you appeal to what they already like and what they already believe to get them in the building so you can have some more of your kind. Hook and line fishing. Which is ultimately after the money. But the disciples, the apostles... We're all commercial fishermen. That meant they fished for profit. And you can't make any money with a hook and line unless you're planning on getting the money from the fish. If you're planning on making money by how many fish you catch, you don't use a hook and line. You use a net. Now, If I'm fishing for this kind of fish and I know what kind of bait they like, so I'm going to use that kind of bait and I know what time of day this kind of fish is going to be hungry and what kind of depth they're going to be at and what depth I should fish with what kind of uh, a bait or lure or fly or whatever all that stuff is. If I, if I, I have to know all of that and I do all that to appeal to that fish. I'm appealing to the fish. The fish is in control. But in net fishing, that fish is just ignorantly swimming alone. They may not be hungry at all. They may not be pray. They may not have any interest whatsoever. Before they realize what happens, here comes a net. Catches them in the net. They're not hungry. They're not seeking God. They just got caught in the net because they were in the right place at the right time when the net came through. This was Jesus' method for reaching souls in large numbers. Let me tell you something. If this was Louisiana or Louisiana, Nolens, Louisiana, if you had 50 centers present and you had a good ser- present in the building, you had a good service, you might have, if it's really good and the preacher's really good, you might be able to expect 35, 40 of them coming to the altar. This ain't Louisiana. And the majority of the people that walk in our building, our buildings, know virtually nothing about God. That's why I've said for years, in, in the most kind way I can, and without any slur in this, the people that live in this area, for the most part, are heathens. Meaning, they have virtually no knowledge of God or the Word of God. I have met people with doctorate degrees in my 45 years in Maryland, that didn't even know there was an Old and New Testament. Honestly. And in 45 years, I've never met a person yet that could spell the word Pentecostal the first time without help. 
What does that mean? You can't reach these people fishing with bait. They don't even know what they're missing and they don't even know what they're hungry for. And if we're not going to reach them with a net, we're not reaching them. John 21 verse 1 says this, And after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus. That doesn't mean doubter. Uh, and it just sounds like doubter. Didymus. Uh, Nathaniel of Canaan. And in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples, Simon Peter saith unto them, you know, Jesus is dead, gone, we don't know where he is. I go fishing. I go a-fishing. Sounds like he was from Alabama. I go a-fishing. Okay. If you're from Alabama, I love you. I'm from northwest Florida, and they call that South Alabama. They say unto him, well, I say I'm not, I was born there. I don't know if I'm from there. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. How many times have we had church and caught nothing? Nothing. Simon Peter said, that, uh, excuse me, but when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Why? Because he was so far off? No, because his face had been beaten in a bloody pulp and he wasn't recognizable. If the scars from the nails in his hands were still there, if the scars were still in his feet, if the scar was still in his side, and we know that because he's told Thomas, come put your finger in these scars and in your hand here, be not faithless and believing, then the scars on his face were still there. And Isaiah 52 says, his face or visage was marred more than any man. So he was totally unrecognizable in his face because he had had, <coughs> sorry, he had had somebody, well more than one somebody, work his face over until it wasn't recognizable. So they didn't know it was Jesus by recognizing him. They sensed it. Uh, later on they did. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. He said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. Somewhere in their minds, there's four guys there that are remembering a scenario kind of similar to this. Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and then cast himself into the sea. That doesn't mean he was nude. In Bible times, if you were down to your... Uh, we would call underwear, but it's not briefs. The undergarment they wore next to the skin went from the neck pretty much down to the knees or ankles. And if you had that, if that was all you had on and you're out in the middle of the water, you're working, he was naked. That's why he put his coat on him. The other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, 
That is approximately 300 feet. Dragging the net with the, with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish lay thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have caught, now caught. Simon Peter went up, drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty-three big fish. For all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. In other words, we have two situations here where commercial fishermen had toiled all night in the methods that they knew how, in the places that they had been productive for them, and caught nothing. And Jesus at his word instructed them to cast their nets, and they did so, and guess what happened? They caught a lot of fish. Caught a lot of fish. Now, here's the problem. Matthew 13, 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. In other words... In net fishing, you know not everybody that gets saved is going to stay. You know it. You know it up. At, you know it ahead of time. You don't know who's going to stay and who's not going to stay. But you know that God is going to immediately begin to separate out the good from the bad, and not meaning good people and bad people, but the ones that have a heart toward Him. And that can be, will respond to his word and those who responded and, and got, and, and, and experienced this great gift of baptism of the Holy Ghost. But immediately they begin to understand that the price is too high. In 45 years, it's amazing the number of people that have received the Holy Ghost the very first time they walked in our doors. They were thrilled with it. They'd never felt anything like it. It was the greatest thing they'd ever experienced. Until they began to understand the price. What price? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian who was a a martyr to Nazism, was slain by Hitler and the Nazis, said this. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. And so when people come, And they feel the presence of God and they hear what God's willing to do, forgive them of their sins and give them this great gift. They respond. They respond pretty easily most of the time. But then when they began to find out, wait a minute, this one that gave the gift expects me to give him my life. He gave me the gift, I give him my life. No deal. I wish it wasn't so, but it is so. And the word of God says it's so. So the point I'm trying to make to you is this. In net fishing, some of the people you bring that pray through are not going to, they're not, they're not going to make it. But I got a question. Does everybody that gets prayed through in an altar call make it? No. 
In fact, I think when it's all said and done, we're going to find out that the percentage is about the same. What's going to be the difference? Praying through the six in the altar call and the 50 in net fishing. So if you keep half of six, you got three. If you keep half of 50, you got 25. You say, well, what's the numbers all about? Well, if you were one of those 25, would it be important to you? If I was one of those 25, it'd be important to me. Because it's about salvation. It's not about numbers in the context of, look how many got the Holy Ghost. It's not about, it's not about that. It's about reaching the lost with the gospel. And the Lord said, I will make you to become fishers of men. He knew what kind of fishermen he was talking to. He was talking to net fishermen. He didn't say, I'm going to teach you how to fish with hook and line. I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. I'm not going to undo or change any of the principles that you use in fishing now. All the principles and concepts you use, we're going to continue to use. The difference is our approach is going to be different. Amen. So, I'm saying this to everybody because everybody's involved. Everybody in this room right now, this is Thursday night. Sunday morning's the crowd, Sunday night's the church, Thursday night's the committed. The, those, that, those labels, if you want to call them that, are not intended to be unkind. It's just the facts. Sunday morning's the crowd. Sunday night's the church. Thursday night's the committed. Not everybody in the church is committed. Not everybody in the crowd's in the church. Sunday morning's the crowd. Sunday night is the church. Thursday night's the committed. So I know to whom I speak. So this involves everybody, even though it's going to sound like I'm just talking to preachers. You'll see quickly. From this night forward, I have kind of said this in the past. I was reminded of that today, but I've never said it. Said it. It is the will of God for this night forward for there never to be another altar call at Antioch unless you are preaching to saints and you're asking them to come forward in repentance, in commitment, etc. Because saints understand acting on their faith and coming forward to pray. All There will be no more altar calls for sinners. No more. The problem is, nobody receives the Holy Ghost by accident. Everybody that receives the Holy Ghost receives it on purpose. Now, how does a person that doesn't even know what they're feeling receive the Holy Ghost on purpose without some help? Who's going to help them? So from now on, we're going to cast the net for souls. We're going to cast the net for souls. You want to know how this is going to work? You're going to get a step-by-step tutorial right now. Okay? Now, brother, sister, when you're preaching, 
as you're approaching the time to begin to reach for people to be saved, you have to discern in the spirit who you're preaching to. Some people are more ready than others. And if you have a a crowd that's predominantly made up of people that's ready, then it would be appropriate before you begin to do any praying for you to give a brief, a very brief explanation of what the Holy Ghost is, how you receive it, how it feels to receive it. How do you go about receiving it? If that crowd is pretty ignorant of what the Holy Ghost is, you don't want to talk about that at that point. Because then you get their minds cluttered with stuff. They're not ready to hear that. So the man, the, the minister, man or woman of God, has to discern which way that's going to go. You don't give instruction when it will be a hindrance to those that are there. And you don't not give instruction when it, the ignorance will be a hindrance to those that are there. You have to be sensitive. Here is step one of casting the net. This, this is now the signal to in every meeting, whether it's in a care group or in a prison service or in a uh, campus service, preaching point, daughter work, Sunday night service, revival service, doesn't matter what it is. Here is the first step of casting the nets. Let's all pray. Not come to the front. Let's all pray. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Let's all pray. Let's all pray. So, every, people begin to pray. Come on, let's, let's all pray. The Spirit of the Lord is here. See? The Spirit of the Lord is, is manifested here. He loves you. He cares for you. Pray. All of that stuff is true. And if I'm leading the service, I'm feeling that. And so therefore, let's pray. Let's enter into his presence. You know, Paul said that he's not very far from any one of us. If we would just reach out, if we'd feel after him, we'd find him. And, and, and once people begin to pray and nobody is praying for anybody but themselves at this point, everybody's praying. Step two. You do not go farther without leading everybody in repentance. Brother uh, Billy Cole has seen more people in his lifetime. He saw more people receive the Holy Ghost than probably any human being that has ever lived in the history of man. You say, what about the apostles? (laughs) Uh, Well, there was 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, and Brother Cole has seen 100,000 plus receive the Holy Ghost on several occasions. We know of 3,000 one time. We know of 5,000 one time. Those are the only two, two times that the Bible ever mentioned large numbers of people receiving the Holy Ghost at one time. Now, they, there may have been more, but the Bible doesn't mention them. And I can tell you right now, I'm not copying this from Brother Cole. We did this. But I also know that he did something similar to this. In all of his, all of his services, all of his crusades. Brother Cole was death on the altar call. He believed it was of the devil. 
that it wasn't of God and that it was a hindrance to people getting the Holy Ghost. He said on the day of Pentecost, they received the Holy Ghost where they were sitting. Doesn't it say that? Doesn't it say that? That's, well, I started out with half and dropped down to a third. Doesn't the Bible say they received the Holy Ghost where they were sitting? Right. They did. This is number two. After there is prayer taking place, you know the Lord will help, wants to forgive us of our sins, all of us. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And He wants to forgive us. Let's all ask the Lord to forgive us of all of our sins right now. You say, well, I haven't sinned. You just did. Because the Bible says if you say you have no sin, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. First John chapter 1, read it. That's what it says. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. So you just revealed your sin right there. But not only that, we are repenting individually and as a group. Because Satan can only war against us if we have unrepented sin in the body that's left here. But if you're sitting there next to a sinner and you're honestly, you know, you're not whispering. You're not shouting, but you're not whispering. And maybe you brought this person. Instead of you acting like them in church, it'd really be good if you acted like an apostolic. Right? Because if you invite somebody and then act like them in church, you're telling them, I think they're all crazy too, because I'm not like them. I'm like you. We just come to laugh. Right? That's what you say. So if you're repenting, sincerely, honestly repenting, let me tell you something. It won't take for a moment or two when God begins to respond to that. You, if you're not really being sincere, you'll probably pick it up a little bit. Because when you feel God responding to those that are sincere, there's going to be a move of God in the house. Step three. Here it is. You know, the Lord said we're not in this by ourselves. Let's all pray one for another. We're all praying. And then we're all repenting. And now we're praying for one another. If you... Bring somebody to church you don't want to be prayed for? You probably don't need to bring them. If it's going to be a problem with you if they get prayed for, now let me finish here. And you'll see I'm not talking about forcing anybody. But let's pray one for another. And in this, you're not laying hands on their head. You're not getting up in their face. You're not shouting in their ear. Just pray for one another. You may take their, take them by the hand, or uh, if it's appropriate and comfortable, you may put your hand on their shoulder, and, and 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 hopefully they respond and they're praying with you and whatever. But now we we have prayed, and the presence of God has entered into the house and manifestation into a, a greater dimension, and and we've all repented, and now there's a move of God taking place, and and now now we're praying one for another. And if you're not sitting with someone you can pray with, look in front of you or behind you and find somebody 
You can pray with. Just you, you, Again, you're not saying anything to them at this point. You're just praying with them. Now, now the Spirit begins to move and it's time to begin to minister. This is net fishing. This is not hook and line fishing. This gets pretty obvious. If the person you're praying with is sincerely praying, you don't have to ask them anything. If you recognize, can sense the presence of God on them, then you begin to work with them. The Lord loves you. He wants to give you a special gift. He wants to give you His Spirit. You've asked Him to forgive you. Do, do you feel it? Do you feel the presence of God? You believe the Lord has heard your prayer, etc. Now He wants to do this for you. And, and you begin to minister to them. Now, if they're not praying, do not do any more with them without asking first. May I pray with you? If they say no, do not, under any circumstances, force the issue. If you ask them, may I pray for you, and they say no, you don't pray with them. I don't care who you are. And I don't mean this unkindly. I don't care who you think you are. If they tell you no, and you pray for them anyway, now you're doing something that Jesus himself wouldn't do. He won't violate their will and you don't have a right to. But there will be plenty of people praying by this time. This works whether there's one person in the building or 50. It actually works easier when there's one person in the building. Because if you have, if you have a burden for that one person to get saved, how do you reach for one person without making them know you're trying, you putting them on the spot? No, but if everybody's praying and everybody's repenting and everybody's praying one for another, then if there's only one sinner in the house, ministry can begin to be done with that person if they're truly praying without ever putting them on this spot or making them embarrassed. But it also works if you've got more sinners in the house than you've got people to pray with them. Whether there's 20 sinners and there's five of you, or a thousand sinners and 50 of you. In fact, in the great crusades that have occurred in the last 20 years in the earth, not just from Brother Cole, but many other people, I mean, there were 3,500 people got the Holy Ghost in Bangladesh just a couple of months ago. Bangladesh, 3,500 people. I mean, it's happening. In those situations, there's so many seekers, they can't all be prayed for. So when you begin to do this, the move of God becomes such that we're going to begin to see outpourings of the Holy Ghost. People are going to get the Holy Ghost without us having to do anything simply because they were led to pray. But that can't happen now. 
Because what we do now is we divide them out. We're only going to pray for those who come to the front. And yeah, in a rare, rare, very real sense, we don't want to, we don't want to embarrass anybody. We don't want to, to violate anybody's will. So if somebody sits there, how do you walk up to that person and pray for them when they haven't responded at all? Now, Easter Sunday, those are people, a couple people I prayed for, but I walked up to them and said, may I pray for you? And they said, certainly. I prayed for them. I prayed a little while and quit. Why? Because what I'm about to say. Be sensitive to the Spirit. Be sensitive to the Spirit. Now, some of you are going to, you know, I'm just going to leave this with you. I know this is true. The Lord showed me this and I believe in this case it's he's no respecter of persons and if you learn to be sensitive you'll know this yourself I don't care who you are saint or sinner if I've got my hand on your head and I'm praying for you let me tell you something what I'm feeling in here is not what I'm feeling but I'm feeling what you're feeling God's letting me sense what you're feeling Because all I've got to do to help you receive the Holy Ghost is describe to you and ascribe to you what I'm feeling. And I can't tell you the number of times I've said to people, that what you're feeling on your mouth right now, that's the Holy Ghost wanting to give you a new language. Well, how did I know they were feeling that on their mouth? Because I was feeling it on mine. Well, how do you know this is true? It was easy to test. You just take your hand off of it. <coughs> Excuse me. It was easy to test. You do that a couple of times. I've told the story about Tom back in February of 93 who had been sent here by another pastor to be ministered to for shame. Of course, we weren't calling it shame then. I hadn't, didn't have the revelation of shame then. And, uh, Tom was here to get some help and I didn't tell anybody the story because it really wasn't my right to tell. And so, um, we were doing one of the altar calls where we burden bearing and everybody had a problem. We'd come up front and the saints would come and pray and all that. And standing right over here, Tom came right at the end of the aisle. We had two, we had three sections, and so there was an aisle right here. He was standing there. And, uh, Joe Lenny Camp and Matt Evans were praying for him. Well, I'm standing there checking everything out, coaching, and, and I knew, and, and I saw those two brethren with him, and I knew they were experienced, they knew what they were doing, and I had absolute confidence that they, they could handle it. So I, I watched that. And so it was okay. You know, I, I'm, I'm accountable to this other pastor who sent this man here to get help. And I didn't announce that to anybody. And so I'm watching this. Well, I, I look back and he's acting like he's got a devil. Well, again, those two brethren both have cast out devils. They know what they're doing. So I didn't think anything by it. But we kept praying and we had a move of God going on. It was happening. Well, I look back over there. 
and nothing was happening and, and not because of the two brethren, but because the situation I was in, because this man was not from our church and had been sitting here desperate. This pastor was desperate to get him some help. I thought, you know, I better go down and see if I can help with that. I'd been feeling the Holy Ghost the whole time. I felt the Holy Ghost walking down there. I put my hands on that man's head and I felt nothing. And I prayed and came against those spirits and commanded them to come out and nothing happened. I'd never had that happen in my entire life. I'd never ever rebuked the devil and told it to come out. It didn't come out. Never, ever. And I, I did that a couple times. Nothing happened. I took my hand off that man's head and stepped back and I said, okay, Lord, what have, what have I done? Is there sin in my life or whatever? Have I failed somehow? Well, I'm standing here just standing there by myself, not touching him. I felt fine. But I didn't feel fine with my hand on his head. And I said, Lord, what's this all about? And the Lord spoke to me and said, he doesn't have demons. It's his shame. He can't forgive himself for what happened to him when he was younger. I never heard such things in my life. I'd never read that, didn't know anything about that. I heard that, but this man is desperate. So I walked around the other side of him and I put my hand on his head. And I whispered in his ear, I said, Tom, you don't have it. You don't have demons. This is your shame because you can't forgive yourself for what your uncle did to you all those years ago. I, I was not prepared for what happened. You would have thought I hit him in the gut with, with a left hook right to the abdomen. He doubled over wailing, wailing. He was bent over like a knife. I can't even get down that far. He was, <laughs> He was bent over wailing and I'm going, whoa, I'm thinking to myself, whoa, what is this? And the Lord said, tell him to forgive himself. So I got down in his ear and I said, Tom, let the, the Lord help you to forgive yourself. You got to forgive yourself. Quit blaming yourself. And it was the most amazing thing. He started very slowly standing, uh, standing back up straight, real slow. About the time he got where his back was parallel to the ground, the wailing had pretty much stopped. And as he continued to stand up, about the time he got up 45 degrees from horizontal, now, now he's starting to speak in tongues. And by the time he was standing up totally straight, all that weight was gone. All of that demonic manifestation or appeared to be demonic manifestation was gone. He is speaking in tongues. His face is glowing. I wasn't prepared for that. But my story again is, when I put my hand on his head, it wasn't him, it wasn't me I was feeling. I felt what was going on in him. But when you're not in tune with God and you're not in tune with yourself, you don't trust that. So whatever you've got to do to get in tune with God, and, and to be in tune with him so you can trust yourself enough that when you, if I'm praying for somebody to receive the Holy Ghost and I put my hand on their head and I don't feel anything, sometimes I just back off. Go find somebody else to pray for. Other times I might feel to, to try to say something to them and you know, the, the Lord loves you. You got to let him love you. Let him help you now. Let him help you. He wants to do this for you.
And if I begin to feel just that little bit of, just that little moving, just that little moving, now I'm encouraged. And now I may talk in tongues a while. I may instruct them a while, whatever. And if it continues to, to increase, then I know there's something good happening here. You say, well, that's you, Brother Wright. I can't do that. How do you think I learned to do it? Practice. You can't learn to do it by sitting back saying, well, I can't do that. That's why if I'm you and I don't know how to do that, I find somebody that's skilled that's praying for people and I don't in- interfere with what they're doing, but I put my hand on that person and just feel what's going on while that person is ministering to them to receive the Holy Ghost. And I listen to what's being said, and am I feeling similar to that? That's why you're never going to learn how to pray people through the Holy Ghost sitting in your seats watching. you got to participate. There can't be but one person talking to them at a time. There can be several people praying, several people there participating and learning. But if, but if someone is taking the lead and talking to that person, ministering to them, don't you jump in there and try to say other stuff. That's Pentecost. They're right there. And one ear they're saying, let go, let go. And the other ear somebody's saying, hold on, hold on. That poor person, they don't know what to do. Let go, let go. Hold on, hold on. You know, it's bad. It's, you know, if people don't get the Holy Ghost. It's got to be on them. It can't be on us because of the way we did it. That's why you've got to be sensitive. You've got to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. And you can be. Ask the Lord to make you sensitive. I don't mean preachers sitting, I mean every Holy Ghost filled person. Every one of us has to be involved with putting our hands on the net. Let me give you a couple of do's and don'ts. First of all, if there is no flow of prayer and ministry, move on. Don't force it. Oh, I believe I can pray them through. Now, right now, you just, your ego just took over. Because you can't give somebody the Holy Ghost. And you can't force somebody to receive the Holy Ghost. So if you're praying for someone and there's nothing happening there, move on. That's what Jesus said to the disciples. If you enter into a house and you say, peace be unto this house, if your peace abides there, then you abide there. But if your peace comes back to you, leave. So if I'm praying for someone and my spirit connects to them and I have peace because I'm connected in prayer with them, I'm going to pray. But if everything I'm praying keeps coming back at me, I'm not going to force that issue. Now I have to admit that's a lot easier to oversee and guide when it's all right here in front of you. But we're not going to get to what God has promised this church with altar calls. And when are we going to change? We need to change now. Hear me. 
I don't like to put numbers on it. I don't, or honestly, I don't. But I would be, I'm going to be the most surprised person in the building that if we start this, this weekend, that we don't end up praying through 15 to 20 people a weekend, every weekend, without anybody being under a strain. Now, let me say this to the men of God. If you're in Sunday night service and you've checked out, God help us. You've got, you've got to be sensitive in that service. I don't ever sit here or back there either that my, my spiritual feelers aren't out and I'm feeling if there's anybody that the Lord is is drawing me to tonight, giving me something to say or something to pray for them. Now, some nights he doesn't, but a lot of nights he does. And some of you didn't know I was coming. You looked up and there I stood. And you weren't expecting that. But that didn't just happen. I wasn't just trying to find something to do so it looked like I was busy. I spent the whole service trying to tune into that. I said... I've spent the, I'm not in the pulpit, I'm not leading service, I'm not preaching, but I don't sit there checked out. I spend the, spent the whole service trying to get in tune. And every experienced, mature saint of God, and every man of God, woman of God, elder of this church, that's what, that's your responsibility. You are not supposed to come to church and just sit. Well, tonight helped me. Well, I didn't really get anything out of tonight. No, because when you're mature, you don't come to get. You come to give. And if you're still focused on what you're getting, it's time to grow up. I don't mean that unkindly. It's time to grow up. Because hear me again. I know the number sounds absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. But I'm telling you right now, we can't get there like we're going now, like we're doing now. Because we can't pray through all those people in altar calls. We have to net fish. We have to net fish. And that means everybody's got the Holy Ghost. Everybody's been baptized in Jesus' name. Participates. You find somebody to pray for. And you may not be the lead person praying for them. But you're there lending your faith, your spirit to them. You're praying for them. God, give them faith. Teach them. Help give them understanding. Help them, let them be hungered to receive. Let them understand what the, the person of God that's ministering to them under, is saying to them. And if it's not going to happen, you don't go, well, I'm so disappointed. You move on. I said this just to some people recently, and I've said it here recently. Scripture says, Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and your joy might be full. I am created by God to experience two kinds of joy. They are not the same. I need both of them. The joy of the Lord is the joy of the Lord. And it's either there or it's not there. So he said, I've spoken these things to you that my joy might remain in you. And that your joy might be full. 
which implies you may not have any of your joy. You may have a little bit of the joy, half a tank of your joy, three quarters of a tank of your joy, but you're not fooled overflowing with your joy. What is that joy? It's the joy of the person that has been, is involved with souls. Wherever you are, in church or wherever, and you're praying for people, you're ministering, let the Lord use you. If it's nothing but a handshake and a smile and a hug, so good to see you. Glad you're here. God bless you. We love you. I, I'm, I'm praying different than I've ever prayed. For a couple of months now, I'm praying different than I've ever prayed. I'm praying desperate, urgent prayers for God to do whatever he's got to do to save the lost, to get us where we need to, whatever has got to happen. Whatever's got to happen. I'm loosing the spirit of the fear of the Lord on the church and on sinners and backsliders. I'm loosing the spirit of conviction on the church, on myself first, and the church and backsliders and sinners. I'm loosing the spirit of hunger and thirst after Jesus and the kingdom and righteousness upon the church and upon sinners and backsliders. I'm, I am speaking the name of Jesus and the kingdom of God and the will of God to be manifested in whatever way is necessary to bring the church where it needs to be. I... <laughs> The scripture says that Jesus said for us to pray that for the, for laborers to be, uh, the Greek is literally thrust out or compelled into the harvest. And I am loosing the word of God and the spirit of God to do whatever's necessary in our individual's life, our individual lives to thrust us out, to compel us, that the blood of, the love of Jesus would compel us into the harvest. I'm praying it. How's your sleep going? Having any dreams? Any visions? Maybe stuff you're not really ready to tell anybody about? Oh, if you haven't, don't, don't worry about it. It's coming. Because I'm praying that the Lord will visit you and I however He's got to visit us to get us in line with him. Years ago, I can tell this now, I was in Islamabad, Pakistan. Sunday morning service was over with. The pastor and I were still kind of lingering. And a man walked in with his wife. And he was, I'm not going to say this as specifically as I know it. He was one of the head mullahs for Islamabad. And the story was that he had had a dream and in that dream Jesus appeared to him and told him that he was the one true and living God. And the man sought out the church, got baptized, received the Holy Ghost. But he could not come to church because if he did, for services, they would have killed him on the spot. 
There are more secret Christians in Pakistan than you have any idea. Because that testimony is not unusual. Well, I got to be honest with you. I'm praying this way. Lord, you said you're no respecter of persons. What about the people here that need a visitation from you? A supernatural visitation from you to confirm to them that you're real. And they need to give themselves to you. I I leave tomorrow to be with Brother Brian Jones in Ann Arbor, Michigan for the weekend. Some of you know that story. Some of you don't. Brother Jones was the first midshipman of a whole bunch of them. He won Brother Hugh and a bunch of others. Well, he backslid just before he graduated from the academy. He was out for several years. Loved God, believed the truth, but he had a real problem with himself. He didn't have any confidence that he could live what God expected him to live. And so, <laughs> he, uh, he was married to his third wife. The others he had married while he was backslidden and divorced them, or they divorced him, one or the other. And they were at a conference for their work because they both worked for the same company, big chemical company. Medical chemical company. And they were in New Orleans. It was the middle of the night. They were abed to sleep at this conference. And he had a dream that was so vivid that he was in hell forever. And it was so real that when he woke up, he immediately got out of bed, got out on his, on the floor in that motel hotel room in New Orleans. By himself with no one to pray with him. And right there repented and prayed back through to the Holy Ghost. Because of the visitation of God. And never went back on it. And today he's the pastor of United Pentecostal Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Because he had a visitation of God. Surely I'm not the only one praying that at Antioch. Surely I'm not the only one praying that on backsliders and sinners. And carnal saints. That the kingdom of God needs to be on fire for him. Surely I'm not the only one. The Lord's trying to do something, you see. He's trying to do it. Let me finish this up. I'm almost done. Don't be pushy. Do not crowd them or invade their space. I am charging every elder in this church, if you see someone praying with a sinner and they're all up in that person's face, you go to them and stop them immediately. Well, I may hurt their feelings. Better to hurt their feelings when they're in rebellion and violation of what's, what's been taught then that sinner get offended because they're all up in their space, end up in their face. Don't crowd them. Don't invade their space. If I'm praying for a lady, 
If you haven't noticed this, you should have. If I've got a hand on her head, guess where my other hand is? Behind my back. So that I can, if I have to whisper in her ear, there's no chance of me touching her in any way inappropriately. Why? I don't want somebody to come in here and, and go tell people that we molest people physically in here. Or some kind of sexual harassment charge because you got to get all up body to body on them. And there's a few of you here, you love to do that. Well, your spirit's not the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you that right now. And we're not going to permit it. We're not. Don't crowd them, don't invade their personal space. Don't touch any part of the body of the opposite sex except their head. If it's my grandchild, I'll put my hand on her shoulder. I actually hug my granddaughters, believe it or not, I really do. I get a hug when they get to the house, I get one when they're leaving. Or if I go to their house, I get a hug when I get there, I get one when I leave. I love it. But, you know, I, I don't want anyone that I'm praying for to get the impression that I'm being in any way untoward. If a woman is praying with a man, same thing. Now, with all that being said, if it's, you know, if there's three or four people praying and you're of the same sex as the person you're praying for, a hand on the shoulder is acceptable. Now, you all know that sometimes I prayed with men, usually saved men. If I'm praying for something in here, I may just put my heart, hand on their chest. I'm not doing that with a sister. You're not either. You're not doing that sister to sister. Not the same thing. Hand on a man's chest by another man praying for them. Okay. But nobody, male or female, is going to put their hand on a woman's chest. I don't care how high it is on the chest. We're not going to let our good be evil spoken of. And why am I doing this? Because by faith in Jesus' name, we're all going to be praying for people. Because when God is moving, if I'm not praying for people, I'm confessing to everybody I need to be prayed for. So I'm issuing fair warning here today. When God is moving and you're supposed to be saved, if you're sitting watching, you are inviting I'm telling everybody here, you are inviting them to come pray for you because you're confessing you need to be prayed for. Hi, how are y'all? Well, I don't like that. Well, it's true, isn't it? You're supposed to be saved and you can't get involved with somebody else just in praying for them? Well, I got problems. You ever, you expect there's ever going to be a day you don't have problems? Jesus promised you're going to have problems. In the world you shall have tribulation. So if you're going to wait till your world is perfect before you, you let the Spirit of the Lord flow through you as a conduit, guess what? You're never going to be one of them. Not going to happen. 
Praise God. If you're praying for someone and an elder, that's male or female, one of the ministers here, and we have several ladies that have license, if they come up to pray for that person, step back and defer to the elder. Not because you're not good enough, but because we're going to do things decently in order. Don't play hockey player and try to do a body check and keep them out of the way. I've seen that happen. Now, I'm having a hard time keeping my pants up because I've lost weight, but there's still a left mass here. You don't want to play body check with me. We may have to raise you up off the floor if this hip gets into your hip. I'm trying to be funny. I hope you're receiving it that way. Praise God. Just a couple of additional points. I'm going to let you go. It is every child of God's responsibility to greet new people and to do our best to welcome them. God help us. How can... I, 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 I sit sometimes and watch. And I watch people walk right past a guest or a visitor and never say a word. Seriously. They ought to leave this, wherever this, whatever service they come to, they ought to leave with their hand hurting. Cause they got it shaken so many times. Or shook so many times. Really, honestly, even 20 people. If you're in a service with 20 people, it, it, you know, don't you remember what it was like as, to feel like an outsider? And you're going to walk by somebody and take the chance they feel that way from you? Freely you've received. I said freely you've received. Freely give. The priority is the harvest over the sermon, brethren. We need to be sensitive to God's timing when to cast the net. And many times it may not be when you're through with your sermon. When the Spirit of God is moving, well, I'm only halfway through. You know what? If it's God's message, that's okay with you. If it's God's message, then you let Him be in charge. And, and, and if He's moving, you know what? It's easy to test that. Let's, let's just pray for a minute. How many times have you ever seen me do that? Let's pray here for a little bit. You know what I'm doing? Not only letting people pray because they're feeling to pray, but I'm also checking to see, okay, Lord, is this as far as I go? And I wait, and and we pray a little bit. There have been times that was it. (laughs) I did uh, Friday morning at men's conference. And everybody was talking about, okay, I hope we get out of here in time to get something to eat today. I went 45 minutes. Now they got a problem. They want to go eat when there's an hour left we could pray in because they weren't expecting to get out before noon. I mean one. And it's only noon. And we prayed. We didn't pray the whole hour, but we prayed. Because that's what the Lord wanted. It was powerful too, I, you know. It was fine with me. I didn't dot all my I's across all the T's of all everything I had in my notes. 
I've never been in a pulpit yet that I finished the notes. We must be more focused on reaping the harvest of souls than finishing our sermon. And let me say this. In, we have gotten to a place in Pentecost where it is our culture to have singing and music during the altar service. Now, a lot of our uh, worship leaders, they do really well because it's, it's kept at a reasonable volume and all of that. I was in, I was in a service last August, in some services last August. I finally went to the pastor. I said, do you want to move a God here? Yeah. Do you want people to get ministered to? Yeah. Well, when you can't minister to somebody without yelling in their ear and then you're not sure they can hear because the music and singing is so loud you can't even talk to them. How do you expect that to happen? He stopped a moment and said, thank you. I'll take care of it. And it got better. I mean, you could finally minister to, person, to people in a loud voice without yelling. You still had to be loud, but you didn't have to yell in their ears so they could hear you. And I'm not totally sure that once the net is cast, that we really even need music. I think it, I think a lot of times, our musicians and singers need to be out here helping us pray rather than singing. I'm not making an edict on that. I'm just making a recommendation. If the Spirit's flowing, we might come back and play something out of praise after it's all basically lifted. It'd be a great time to praise over all God has done. But let, I, I'm, I'm asking leaders that you be mindful in every service, if you've got music and help, that you make sure that the music and the singing doesn't get so loud that you can't minister to people in a comfortable manner. You got somebody you're praying for, for them to get the Holy Ghost. They're sinner. They're from, most of them from this area or whatever. Let me tell you something right now. They get kind of squirrely when you're yelling in their ear. You know? Praise God. <sighs> For this to truly work, there's going to have to be periodic training for all saints and leaders on how to pray for someone to receive the Holy Ghost. We've done that in the past. And, and the problem with all of us that are leading is once you've covered that kind of stuff, in your mind, okay, I've covered that. But that rules out the fact people grow up, people get saved, and now there are people who are involved that haven't had that training and need it. It is a basic skill that every child of God should have. And that's to have some idea, some knowledge of how to pray for people to receive the Holy Ghost. Every child of God, not just the preacher. Now, a man, a prophet of God who was very influential in my life in the 70s, I took about, I took the meat and threw away the bones. Because in his church, only two people ever put their hands on him, anybody's head to receive the Holy Ghost, him and his son. No one else was allowed to. As powerful as he was as a man of God, that wasn't apostolic at all. Because we're all ministers. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you're baptized in Jesus' name. We all have a ministry. And the number one ministry is people. Loving people, ministering to people, helping people. 
praying for people, helping them get stay saved and stay saved. You know what? You know what we did in the past. That I'm not saying it's not done now because I'm not ever placed and I don't know. I you know, but I'm encouraging you this. Just because a person spoke in tongues in one service doesn't mean you're done. Because we were having nothing but evangelistic services those two years, the only way we could really help people get established was there were some people, they got prayed for till they spoke in tongues every night for weeks. And then, not every night, but every couple of nights. For another couple of weeks. And that kept going and gradually we would, we would wean away from that. And most of the time it didn't take very long. But the problem is, new people, it, it, oh God help us to remember what we were, what we went through. It, it's all new, it's uncomfortable and, and, and you're not sure, the devil's telling you, you're making that up and that's, that's, they put something on you or this is not real, this is not true. And by helping them and praying for them in those kind of situations, it, 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 it proves he's a liar without saying that to them. Hallelujah. Now let me say this to you. In a reaping service, praying for somebody sitting next to you is not a leadership position. Has anybody got ears to hear what I just said? That means if you claim the Holy Ghost and you've been baptized in Jesus' name, pray for somebody. Well, I'm not this and I'm not that and I've done this. Don't tell me what's under the blood. Is it under the blood? Act like it's under the blood. Don't sit back. Pray for somebody. Flowing water purifies. Let the living water flow. It will purify. It will clean stuff out if you let it flow. But when you're sitting there as a pool, it's easy to become a cesspool. You don't want that. Let the Lord use you. And in net fishing, everybody can be involved. We're not checking your spiritual pedigree. We're not putting you in the pulpit. We're encouraging just to care enough to shake somebody's hand or pray for them. Hallelujah. Uh, I will make this set of notes available for leaders so you can go over it and know what you're supposed to be doing. Say, Brother Wright, I, I don't know if I agree with this. That's what submission is. That's what submission is. This is now God's direction for Antioch. If you're a part of Antioch, this is direction for you. Praise God. Now, it may not work it work if you don't do it with any kind of faith. But what's really awesome about God is you let folks start praying and pray for one another. God will make it work even if you're standing there just pouting. <laughs> and then you got to say, well, you know, this, this is pretty nice praying some people through. Some of you. I'm, I'm trying to quit right now. I'm saying this in the Holy Ghost. 
Some of you have got sinners that's been sitting on your seat. Some for weeks, some for months. And they've never made a move. And you're still waiting on them to make a move. Well, it's time to cast the net. Again, we're not going to be offensive. We're not going to be obnoxious. We're not going to be, we're not going to molest them emotionally, physically, or spiritually. But we're going to pray if they'll let us pray. And God's going to do a work. Praise God. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your blessings upon us, your goodness to us, your great mercy that you have given to us. We are so unworthy of all that you've done for us. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless these efforts that you have directed for us to be more biblical in our approach to reach those that you give us the opportunity to minister to. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, confirm your word, Father. Confirm your word this weekend. Fill people with the Holy Ghost this weekend, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. The Lord bless you. I love you. Uh, let's pray some people through the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name.